title the message, uh, In Christ You Can Be Joyful. In Christ You Can Be Joyful. Now we have spent a lot of time lately on our identity in Christ and what that should mean for us, right? So, so now I want us to get uh, practical in our application, kind of a let the rubber meet the road kind of idea with our application of the truth that, that, that we who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to save us from our sins and the penalties of our sins, we can do and we can be because we are in Christ. The book of Philippians can be described as a book that tells us you know, how to be joyful, how to rejoice. And what's interesting, though, are the, are the situations that Paul describes, uh, you know, situation he, situations he's in that he describes being joyful or, or, or worthy to rejoice in. Uh, if you're in Philippians chapter 4, I want you to turn back to Philippians chapter 1 now. And I want you to look at verses 4 and 5. Chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Always in every prayer of mine, for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, what is not joyful about hearing the gospel being accepted? What greater joy can there be when, when we get a new brother or sister in Christ? I mean, Paul himself, though, was in prison at the moment that he wrote this. And of course, he's in the prison for preaching the gospel. See, the, the joy of the gospel, both, both receiving it and, and, and getting to watch it work in somebody's life, uh, there, there's a joy about that, but it also brings us into conflict with, with the world. Uh, the world is not our home. And for now, the world is enemy territory. Uh, the way of Christ is at odds with the way of the world system. When we forget that, we, we do ourselves a disservice. I mean, we, we can't expect things of the world to give us this kind of joy. A gospel-oriented joy doesn't mean, though, that everything is suddenly going to go easy. If, if the person that led you to Christ promised you that once you got saved, all of your life's problems would be solved, they lied. All right? When you trust Christ, you get a whole new set of issues. And those issues are with the system that hates the one that saved you. If you're still in Philippians 1, look at verses 15 down to verse 18 here. Um, verse, uh, verse 15, chapter 1 says, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. Uh, the one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ be preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. See, there was a group of people there trying to cause Paul trouble 
by preaching the gospel. They're in the ministry for what they can get instead of what they can give. And despite this, Paul sees the bigger picture, and that bigger picture gives Paul a reason to rejoice. Look over at chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2. Where he says, finally, brother. Now, Paul says finally several times throughout the book of Philippians. It's like the preacher that says, okay, my last point is this. And he goes on for five more points. You know, it's kind of like that. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you, uh, to me, indeed, is not grievous. But for you, it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision or the mutilators, we could say. Again, there is a conflict. This time from those who are causing real problems for the spread of the gospel. They, they are seeking to distort the truth, to, to make a liar out of Paul. They bring a false gospel which deceives, which leads to a false salvation, which is no salvation at all. And even with this, the call from Paul is to rejoice. You're right there. You see chapter 4. Look at verse 4. We finally made it to our verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. All right? But notice the context of this. Go to verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and Synthache that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Now here, even, even in the church at Philippi, there's an argument, there is some contention, and no doubt Eodia and Synthache, they're, they're quite prominent in the church in order to get named like this, and, and it would be a devastating situation that would cause a great amount of anxiety. There'd be a dread at the thought of going to church because these two ladies might go at it right in front of everybody. There'd be, there'd be a cloud hanging over the service. Um, worship would be difficult. Praise would be stunted. Fellowship would be awkward. Paul makes it clear twice. Even in a situation like that, joy is the appropriate response. Now, this is the message that Paul wants us to hear. You can be joyful in spite of the circumstances in your life, uh, despite what you're going through, because you're rejoicing in the Lord, you're not rejoicing in the circumstances. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's, that's just impossible. You don't know my life. You have no idea what I'm dealing with. But in, in actuality, the call to rejoice, it is real. It is a necessity because life in this world constantly seeks to rob us of joy. There's disappointment. There's disillusionment. There's worry. There's despair. There is pain. There is rejection. There is suffering. There is despondency. There is grief. There is discouragement. And there is heartache. And if that's all there was, how could we rejoice? You know, the person that said that life was meant to be e easy either didn't have a life, right? Or uh, they live by themselves on a tropical island 
with no job and no kids, right? That's not reality, right? This, this is reality. This is real. There are many things that will rob our joy. We have to acknowledge those things because they're real. They really do happen, and they, and, and, and they really do happen to us. We can't pretend like they don't. One of the things that might rob your joy is sickness or death. It's not uh, often that death causes joy. Uh, that, that sense of loss, you know, that hollow, empty feeling, it's not usually something you rejoice in. Uh, but a pastor in Australia tells, tells of one occasion, though, where he says, when I was younger, there was a death in our congregation, and the text that was given to the pastor to preach this funeral was 2 Corinthians 12, 7, which says, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. Imagine having to preach on that. Um, I guess the guy must have been kind of a stinker, right, when, when he finally passed away. But see, that's, that's, that's not the norm. When we think of death, that's not what we think of. I mean, what does death do? Death creates an emptiness. We're not, we're not meant for death. We're not made for death. Death is the consequence of sin. Uh, when we lose someone in death, it creates an emptiness that is palpable. You can feel it. It weighs on you. It's because death means there's a missing piece of your life. A piece of your life is gone, and now you have to learn to navigate your life around the hole that's been left. Something else that could rob your joy is disappointing circumstances. Like I didn't get into the school I wanted, so now my future is uncertain. I don't know what to do with my life. Or, or I lost my job. I can't provide for my family. All the financial burden is on my spouse. How long before something else comes along? Or maybe I'm running out of finances. I never seem to have enough money. I can't pay my bills. My car needs work. I have hospital bills. What if I can't buy food? Or I've been told I'm not good enough. I've heard it so often I'm starting to believe it. I can't measure up to their expectations. They're always disappointed with me. What about nobody wants me? I'm alone, I have no friends, why am I even here? Would I even be missed? Now, now you make your own list. What has caused you disappointment, discouragement? What has come in to try to take your joy? Leave something here in Philippians chapter 4. I want you to go to Psalm 32. In Psalm 32... I've seen that sickness and death can possibly try to rob us of our joy. I've seen that disappointing circumstances can possibly rob us of our joy, but unconfessed sin can rob us of our joy. Look at verses 1 and 2, Psalm 32. It said, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, 
and in whose spirit there is no guile. Here we see the joy of a relationship with God that is unhindered by sin. That is joyful. That's a reason to rejoice. But look at verses 3 and 4 where that joy is lost. When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. See, there is, there is a turmoil in you when you are convicted of your sin. There is a heaviness that weighs on your soul when you know that you have loved your sin more than you have loved your God. And that conviction, that heaviness is meant to make you so miserable that you're willing to forsake that sin and return to the Lord. Now look at verse 5. It says, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. This is confession. Confession and repentance restores our relationship with the Father. Now, if verse 5 doesn't happen, then you remain in verses 3 and 4 until you learn that verse 5 is a much better place to be. If you drop down to verse 11, you'll see that the joy has been restored. He says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, uh, and, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. See, this is the result of verse 5. With nothing between you and your God, there is joy and peace and comfort, and rejoicing comes easier. So, you, know, you can think of your own examples of things that may rob you of your joy. In the face of these examples, Paul says, though, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again just in case you missed it, rejoice. Paul doesn't say rejoice in the Lord unless something happens that you don't like or didn't plan on. Paul doesn't say rejoice in the Lord until somebody does something that rubs you the wrong way or bruises your tender sensitivities. It's regardless of circumstances of your particular situation, there is a way that leads to joy. It's rejoice. It's a command. It's an act of your will. You, you decide that you're going to rejoice. You resolve that you will trust God and trust his control, and you will do what he says do, and rejoice in this case, no matter your feelings, no matter your situation. See, rejoicing in hard circumstances is an expression of your faith in God. And just in case you missed it the first time, he says again, rejoice. Now let's be clear what Paul is asking of us here. Go ahead and turn back to Philippians chapter 4. Some people say that laughter is the best medicine. Laughter certainly helps us get through difficult circumstances at times. Proverbs does say that a merry heart does good like a medicine. Uh, the damage done by, by stress hormones can, to a point, be undone by laughter, by a merry heart, by a carefree heart. 
But when Paul says rejoice, he is not saying that every day should be a barrel of laughs. That's, that's unrealistic. There's a difference between joy and happiness. You can be unhappy and you can still rejoice. He's telling us to rejoice. Don't just laugh it off like it's no big deal. I mean, you acknowledge your pain, but you trust God through that pain and you rejoice. You rejoice. You don't put on the fake smile like something didn't happen. Right? You admit the disappointment, but you trust God and you rejoice. You rejoice. You don't just pretend that it's okay as if you weren't violated, as if you weren't taken advantage of. No, you recognize that loss, but you trust God and you rejoice. We're called here to push forward into a place where we don't allow our circumstances to dictate whether or not we obey God. We don't allow our lives to be robbed of joy. Paul calls us to this such a life. We are, are, are just like we're not made for death, we're made for rejoicing in the Lord. Let me read you 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. Where Peter is writing here, he says, wherein, and, and the wherein is referring to the inheritance that we've received in Jesus, so it's, it's because of the inheritance we have in Jesus, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. So they're, they're rejoicing, but they're facing the hardships of life. See, rejoicing and joy, I'm, I'm sorry, suffering and joy, suffering and joy, are not incompatible. This is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life. And this is one of the chief differences between happiness and joy. Happiness depends on moods and circumstances. It's, it's fickle. It's fragile. Like the emotions of a kid just entering their teen years. My daughters are going to kill me. But when they were that age, oh, the hormones. Oh, the mood swings. Oh, the instability. That's what your happiness is like. It comes and it goes and it's here and it's there. Joy is not like that. Rejoicing is not like that. Joy is founded upon God, is founded upon his sovereignty. And joy, rejoicing, is expressed using your faith in that sovereign God. Joy is solid. Joy is unaffected by the whims of your life. You think about the stories we hear of suffering believers. So often we hear that it strengthens them rather than weakens them. 
Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, where he says, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Verse 12 begins, Rejoice and be exceeding glad. We are not to allow the circumstances of life to dictate whether or not we are joyful. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Verses 4 and 5 say this, But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God, in much patience, or we could say endurance, in afflictions, in necessities, or, or having needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, which, which is large, screaming, riotous crowd, you know, like, like they're coming to get you, pitchforks and torches, all right? in labors, in watchings, in fastings. That doesn't sound like a life really worth being joyful about, does it? Verse 8 says, By honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. If all these things happen to you, how would you respond? We're not to allow the circumstances of life to dictate whether or not we rejoice. You are commanded not to let them rub you the wrong way. You're commanded not to let them rob you of your joy and duty of being a rejoicing Christian. Now, this does not mean that we can't express emotions. We need emotions. God has emotions. That's why we have them. Rejoicing does not mean that you ignore or you don't acknowledge how you feel. You rejoice many times in spite of how you feel. You express your faith in God by rejoicing even when you don't feel like rejoicing. You stop your emotions from being an excuse to disobey the Lord. Have your emotions. Feel your feelings. You need to do that. That's okay as long as you also rejoice. See, we we tend to forget that, that we serve an emotional God. Jesus wept. He got angry. Jesus became frustrated. Jesus was troubled. He grieved. He sighed. You ever sit down and just... (sighs) Don't look at me like you've never done that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus did that. He groaned. He became indignant. He was in agony. But none of that stopped him from rejoicing. The call to rejoice in the Lord always is not about squashing, burying, ignoring your emotions. It's about keeping the right perspective. Remember, we're rejoicing in the Lord always, he says. And again, I say rejoice. We take our eyes off of what's going on around us and we look to our Savior. We live being in Christ. If you're still in Philippians, I want you to go to Ephesians. 
uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and then I want you to find verse 19. Ephesians chapter 2, find verse 19. And it says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And ye are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. There's a lot packed into that. We are fellow citizens. We live in the same city, the same suburb. We're in the same neighborhood as God. We're in the household. We, we share living space with our Lord. We're on the same foundation. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, just go back to the left just a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, find verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3.10. It says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is then that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That is our powerful, unmovable foundation. And this is where the ability to be able to rejoice in any situation or circumstance comes from. Nothing can break it, not sickness, not death, not disappointing circumstances, not even unconfessed sin can remove you from the foundation of Jesus Christ, your Savior. Romans 8.35 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? These aren't rhetorical questions. I think he's, he's, he's expecting an answer. Or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Is there any circumstance this world or anybody else can throw at you that can break you away from the love that you have in Jesus Christ? Is there anything at all? Are you sure? Because remember, verse 36 says this, As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Are you sure you and Christ are inseparable? Because to rejoice in all of your circumstances, to rejoice in every situation, you need to be sure that you and Christ are inseparable. See, verse 37 continues. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Paul made that word up because it didn't exist. Holy Spirit, let him make a word. Mega conquerors. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Paul goes on, for I am persuaded. I am convinced. I know absolutely for sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, 
nor any other creature, in case I missed something, nothing else shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That ought to be reason enough to rejoice. This is why you can rejoice always. It's because Christ is God and you are in Christ. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, he is God and you are in him. Your life can be falling down around your ears. And this year, it just might fall down around your ears. But you can still rejoice. Because you are still in Christ. And that is reason enough. Just being in Christ is reason enough to rejoice always. And again, in case you missed it, He says, rejoice. In Christ, you can rejoice. In Christ, you can be a joyful believer. In Christ. Stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we come to you this morning just wanting again to say thank you. Thank you that those of us that have trusted Jesus as our Savior, that we are in Christ. It seems to be your favorite way to describe us. We're just, we're just in Christ. And because we are in him, we have access to you. Because we are in him, our eternity is secure. Because we are in him, we have reason to rejoice even when life doesn't go as we planned, even when life hurts even when even when it's it just when there's suffering and we don't know why <coughs> father your word says we can still rejoice in you so father i pray that your spirit would remind us that while you've not promised us an easy life, matter of fact, you promise us just the opposite, those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, that you do things through suffering that you just will not do any other way, but that in that still we can rejoice because if this life is completely gone, then we're not only in Christ, but we're with Christ. And that we can rejoice if for no other reason that we will be with Christ. So Father, make us those peculiar people. Those people that seem to be able to rejoice no matter what's going on around them. Because we understand your sovereignty and your love. We understand your control and your mercy. Help us to be rejoicing Christians. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Mike, would you come ahead?